Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the 361 Recovery Programme, which is called Listen to Your Life. So listen carefully everyone, I shall say this only once. I am Alice Smith of 361 Life Support. And 361 Recovery Programme, if I can say it, I put my teeth in, is a recovery programme for women. And we are on week eight. We're talking today about listening, listening to yourself and also silence. So how do you feel about silence? We're going to be asking you, what's your relationship with silence? And I think many of us that have grown up in difficult homes are scared of silence. But it's when we sit and listen to our life that we can make really great changes and we can find healing but I know as well as you do that that is really difficult to do I mean first of all we've got so many distractions now we've got the Spotify podcasts we've got Grinder, we've got this and that we've got everything Netflix binges all these different things drinking so we don't have to sit and listen to our lives and maybe we don't want to you know maybe We might be one of those people who will ask everyone else their opinion rather than ask ourselves. And I know I used to do that, but my circle's so small now that when I go to phone someone or text someone if I've got a problem, I usually stop unless it's an emergency. Say, hang on a minute, why don't I sit quietly and think and listen to my life, listen to myself As an ex-addict, as in um, a recovering alcoholic, I know what it's like to switch myself off constantly every night with wine and not listen because I think alcohol just turns down the volume of the different voices in our head. But if we drink too much, that negative voice can come up and be really large and dominant. But this week, we're looking at strategies for sitting and listening to your inner child listening to yourself and thinking about what your life purpose really is. And that's where I suppose we'd say listening to our soul. But if you're not religiously inclined, we you know that you have a gut feeling, a gut instinct, and it is possible to get in more, more in touch with that and listen to it more. And of course, there's some poetry as well, as usual, talking about how does it feel and how does it sound? to just let it go and release. If you want to know more about the 361 Recovery Programme, there's information at the end because we're starting up again Sunday, October 25th. And we've also got 361 Sober going on too. But for now, sit back, enjoy and listen. Are you listening to your life? By Parker J. Palmer. And this is from... Oprah Winfrey's Little Guide to Finding Your True Purpose. It can take a long time to become yourself. I was in my early 30s when I first began to question my calling, teaching at a university and doing it reasonably well. But I felt stifled by the confines of academic life. A small voice inside was calling me towards something unknown and risky yet more congruent with my own truth. I couldn't tell, however, whether the voice was trustworthy, whether this truer life I sent stirring within me was real or within reach. Then I ran across the old Quaker saying, let your life speak. I found the words encouraging and I thought I understood what they meant. Let the loftiest truths and values guide you. Live up to those demanding standards in everything you do. I believed I was being exhorted 
to live a life of high purpose, as did Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks and Mahatma Gandhi. Okay, this person is kind of, that's a little bit egotistical, but let's carry on. Clinging fearfully to my academic job, even though it was a bad fit, I tried to teach the way I imagined my heroes would. Just to cut in again, I've been there. The results were rarely admirable, often laughable and sometimes grotesque as when I caught myself preaching to students instead of teaching them. I had simply found a noble way to live a false life. Don't you just love that? This is me cutting in again. I can't help it, can I? This is what I think I did with teaching, a noble way to live a false life. I just want to stop and challenge you. Are you living a noble, in inverted commas, way? Are you living a false life? Let that sink in. Okay, back to Palmer J. Parker. Vacation, the way I was seeking it, had become a grim act of will. Oh, that's teaching again. Oh, shut up, Alice. I can't just read this, can I? Today, some 30 years later, I found deep joy in my vocation as a writer, travelling teacher and activist. And let your life speak means something different to me now. Vocation, I've learned, doesn't come from willfulness. It comes from listening. That insight is hidden in the word vocation itself, which is rooted in the Latin word for voice. Before I tell my life what I want to do with it, I must listen for what my life wants to do with me. I've come to understand vocation not as a goal to be achieved, but as a gift to be received. The treasure of true self I already possess. Vocation doesn't come from a voice out there calling me to become something I'm not. It comes from a voice in here calling me to be the person I was born to be. Accepting this birthright gift of self turns out to be even more demanding than attempting to become someone else. (laughs) That's true. I've sometimes responded to that demand by ignoring the gift or hiding it or running away from it, and I don't think I'm alone. An old Hasidic tale reveals both the universal tendency to want to be someone else and the importance of becoming oneself. Rabbi Zuzia, when he was an old man, said, In the coming world they will not ask me, Why were you not Moses? They will ask me, Why were you not Zuzia? When we lose track of our true self, how can we pick up the trail? Our lives speak through our actions and reactions, our intuitions and instincts, our feelings and bodily states, perhaps more profoundly than through words. If we can learn to read our own responses, we'll receive the guidance we need to live more authentic lives. The soul speaks only under quiet, inviting and safe conditions. If we take some time to sit silently listening, the soul will tell us the truth about ourselves, the full messy truth. Just to stop again here, I think that's why we distract ourselves with shopping and the phone, I'm guilty too, and drinking. I used to switch myself off with that and add in whatever drug of choice you use and we'll call shopping a drug too, so that you don't have to listen to the full messy truth. This week we're saying, listen to your life. Oh, it's so difficult, isn't it? Why is it so difficult? Is it because we want to think of ourselves as a lot better than we are? We've got to be able to see it as it is, people. Right, back to Parker J. Palmer. I think I've got the name wrong. An often ignored dimension of the quest for wholeness is the need to embrace what we dislike about ourselves as well as what we're proud of. 
our liabilities as well as our strengths. We can learn as much about who we are from our limits as from our potentials. That's so true. For years, I thought that becoming a college president was the right thing to do with my life, despite the fact I'm too thin-skinned for the job. But when I embraced this limitation and found work where thin skin is an asset, the fact that I'd never become a college president felt like a homecoming, a return to my true self, full of peace and joy. Okay, when I, when I read this, I haven't finished yet, by the way, that really hit home to me because I had been a secondary school teacher for 15 years and I was always told that I was too nice, too soft. And I was a brilliant teacher. I was kind and I loved with a passion the people in my care and they always got the best grades. But the teachers didn't like this. They wanted me to have rubbish grades because it kind of didn't look right that I was being kind and nice, never made them cry, cared about them, put their emotional health first and got good grades. And I always felt like there was something wrong with me. So where she says... Um, thin skin is an asset. If that's you and you're in the, just in the wrong job and people are telling you you're too nice and you're too good and they're making your fantastic value and your precious caring, you know, you care, you give, it's great. If people are telling you that, that it's not right, like they did for me for years, get out sooner than me and find a job or a vocation where thin skin is an asset. So now I really care about people like 100% and I'm doing something that I love now and that is seen as a good thing and it is a good thing. It doesn't matter what Trump says or what this world says right now. Caring is a fantastic skill. Healing is, we need more healers. Okay, back to the person, Parker J. Palmer. We can move towards homecomings by seeking clues to vocation in childhood memories. When I was a boy, I spent hours putting together little books on how airplanes fly. For a long time, I thought that I wanted to be a pilot, but a few years ago, I saw what I'd really wanted all along was to write books. Our highest calling is to grow into our own authentic selfhood, whether or not it conforms to some image of what others think we ought to be. That's key because we're surrounded, aren't we? we? We're born into families and they tell us what we ought to be. And it's sometimes not until midlife that we're able to shake that off because that's really deep programming. True vocation joins self and service, says theologian Frederick Buchner, who defines vocation as the place where your deep gladness meets the world's deep need. The world's deep needs are met daily, not only by caring doctors and inspiring teachers, but by good parents, good plumbers, good hairdressers, good friends. And as all those people know, the gladness of authentic vocation is always laced with pain. Ask any parent suffering through the travails of her child's teenage years. But the pain that comes from doing the right job well and the pain that tells us we're on the wrong track are completely different and the soul knows the difference. When we're on the wrong track, the soul feels violated and abused and cries out for change. But when we suffer from doing the right job well, the soul still feels fulfilled because it knows how to take this kind of suffering and use it to make meaning and extend the heart's reach. 
This emphasis on self and gladness has nothing to do with selfishness. The Quaker writer Douglas Steer said that the ancient human question, who am I, that's week one of our course, leads inevitably to the equally important question, whose am I, since there is not selfhood outside of relationship. When we answer the who am I question as honestly as we can, we will be more authentically connected to the community around us and will serve more faithfully the people whose lives we touch. For the gift of self is finally the only gift we have to give. Childhood. Oh, well, things are getting a bit heavy, aren't they, listeners? So let's have a drawing activity. Yay! So grab a pen and a bit of paper or even better or if you're a perfectionist pencil and rubber and draw this for me if you will what job did you want as a child I'll just give you a bit of time or you can pause it oh that looks great I love the matchstick So now, underneath that little picture, I would like you to ask yourself, would the current version of you be happy doing this now? Hopefully it's yes. I mean, I drew a, I would have drawn a ballerina. I always wanted to be a ballet dancer. Uh, I I think I'm a bit too old for that now, so. Right, and one more little picture. Can you draw the job you have now? It's okay, it doesn't have to be a masterpiece. So, hopefully you've drawn drawn the job you have now. I can only imagine. And now I'd like you to ask yourself the following. Would the childhood version of you be happy doing this. Chaos theory. Keep calm and carry on. But is calm threatening? Is silence threatening? To survivors, I think it is. And to all those women who grew up addicted to the chaos they experienced at home, What was your family home like? Calm? Noisy? Safe? Unsafe? Predictable? Or unpredictably predictable? I mean, if we're thinking about listening to ourselves, that's difficult if we see silence as a threat. And with PTSD, silence is very often quite scary. Whatever type of home you grew up in, you have either recreated it or tried to create the opposite. Think about it. You'll you'll hate me, but you'll see that I'm right. I was a working class child. Life was fairly austere, no central heating, frost inside the windows, no pets and a fair amount of arguments and punishment. 
nothing any different to what went on in every house down that street. But in my first marriage, I recreated this wonderland house full of presents and pets with zero rules and little punishment. It was happy chaos. In my second marriage, though, things took a turn for the worse and I was back to freezing cold bedrooms. I couldn't afford the heating bill. Arguments and punishments. Christmas was a strange mismatch of both, a cold house full of presents. However you look at it, I was recreating different parts of my childhood. Can you see any patterns? My childhood was never calm because it was unpredictable. It could be safe most of the time, but wildly unpredictable in its ability to turn, like the British weather. When I left home for university, I knew how to bring the party. I brought the chaos. And although I mellowed through my mothering years, this spirit of chaos returned in midlife and how. It felt like I'd pressed down and repressed this chaotic part of myself for two decades and out it howled with disastrous consequences. Midlife crises don't come bigger than mine. How could I have avoided the chaos, I hear you ask? Well, the fact is, I was addicted to chaos. I know some of you listeners are nodding. So are you. Calm was boring, but more than that, silence was threatening. Calm involved silence. Thinking, listening to myself, hearing that voice, oh no. Lines from my show that I performed at the time said it all. When I rest still, I can hear myself rest in fear of myself. Bad choice. I don't want to hear that voice. And there were so many who helped me to ignore it. Every day brings someone colder, but their words are getting older. I need a new message. It's one thing to perform it and then a few years later to understand what you were trying to tell yourself. (laughs) If we're used to chaos from our childhood, then what is the new message? And are we ready to hear it? Are we listening? The 361 Recovery Programme is designed for women who are ready to stop and listen. Listen to themselves. It involves taking a slow 360 of your life, including your childhood, and looking at how this has affected you, how it affects you now. I would say 361 creates calm within the chaos. You know this makes sense. You know you're going to agree with me when I say chaos becomes exhausting in our fourth decade. And behind the chaos is another more sober life where you can get to be a role model rather than this week's gossip over a glass of wine. Leaving the chaos behind does mean you have to grow up. You get to leave your childhood for good and believe me, some of us haven't done that yet. But it's time. These are strange times and we need to grow up. Now I understand that trauma trauma creates the drama. No more drama. It's a great song.
the sound of letting go. It's the sound of letting go. How does it sound? It's not the spit of the fire. Secrets in tongs. It's not the sound of the surf. Spraying salt into our wounds. No, it's the sound of letting go. I can't hear it when I'm running away from myself. I can't hear it in applause. Myself is drowned in the smacking together of hands. I'm a handstands. And handstands have feet so high that we can't hear the sound of letting go. The noise is all about us, but when I listen, I hear that sound of silence. And in that dark corner, it's all about me. Sound travels, and who's to say it doesn't travel through time? The sound of letting go is the sound of my life lived backwards and reversed, unrehearsed. It sings only at night in a minor key belatedly. It's the sound of a baby being dropped. It's the sound of a muffled cry. It's the sound of nothing, no thing. It's regrets unpeeled off skin. It's too loud, so why do you strain to hear it? The record is stuck and the needle is sharp, like the sound of a dragonfly's wings. It stutters your name. You can't. Listen. Can you? Alice Smith? Well, this one was written a long time ago. Like a lot of things I write, I thought, I wonder what it sounds like to let go of things in your life, to let go of people, places and dreams. What's the sound? What are the sounds in your life as you let go? Can you hear them? Do you want to? Are you listening? Socially unsafe. How socially safe are you? I'm just asking because for me, it's not very. Do you fill your Facebook feed with pictures of you and your children or your dog and wine to show your friends that, hey, you're just like them? Or maybe you parade your new tattoos and piercings to show your cool friends that, um, you're not like those other plain people, you're just like them. The ultimate rebellion is now not to take a selfie of your new tattoo or to come off social media. 
When I was teaching at the end of my career, I was dressed in Doc Martens with bleach blonde hair. In fact, I still am. <laughs> Try as I might, I couldn't shock the hardened Welsh mechanics I'd ended up with. I did say this was at the end of my career, didn't I? Well, I've got to tell you, I was teaching them algebra, but that's for another podcast. I do remember, though, going off topic here, that one of them sat while I was trying to teach them algebraic equations and took a chair apart, bit by bit, very carefully. One day I mentioned I didn't have a TV to this class. Shock, horror. Word went round. I was officially really, really weird. I didn't have a TV. I was socially unsafe in Newport. Oh God, doesn't that sound like a great title of a book? (laughs) My autobiography. Their normal, you see, was having an axe rammed through their door. I'm not even joking. Of course, once I realised that this was rebellion, I never got another TV set. The bailiffs had taken mine. It does create problems at the hairdressers, though, because people norm over TV. They norm over TV watching habits. It's socially safe. It's following the crowd. So why do we do it? Well, we are social and tribal creatures. We have to connect and bond to survive, or at least that's the theory, but... Now more than ever, it's becoming almost impossible to shock. The abnormal has become the norm. I mean, in this climate, I've noticed several ways to be a socially unsafe after loss. Um, be a single woman in your 40s. Don't date. Come off social media. Stop posting endless pictures of yourself with a glass of wine yawn. Or get sober, that's really socially unsafe, and announce it to all your friends and watch them run away. Uh, Lose the TV? How about this one? Talk about your loss and how you're feeling about it in company. More tea, anyone? Let's face it, loss itself is socially unsafe. Whether you're a widow, a divorcee, or someone who just got made redundant, your friends and family feel uncomfy around you if you talk about it. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, they do. The 361 Recovery Programme has been developed for that time after loss when your support network is shaken and stirred and maybe they've run away. You may face judgement or lose a few of them, but either way their support will sag just when you need it most. Because loss is scary and not safe. Not safe at all. Loss scares people and some run away. Maybe you will not take up any of the six points I've listed. I don't know. But here's some ideas for you. This is an activity. Do you dare to do it? I dare you. There's only one real essential. You must find someone to talk about your loss with. Think of a loss If you're listening to this programme, you have one, at least. Go and talk to them. Name your feelings. Survey the wreckage. Work out what you're going to pick up and how you're going to walk. Not away, but forward. And from talking about your loss, you will magically see the supportive friends that you can keep. 
361 Recovery throws you a lifeline when you're socially unsafe until you can work out where you want to fit into society, how you want to reconnect, if you do. I dare you. Go and talk about it. Human or God? Being human. We are white, black, yellow, mixed race. We are short, fat, thin, rich, poor. We are men, we are women, we are neither. We are 100 genders. We are working class, middle class, aristocracy. Being human, we are indefinable. We are human. When we're struggling with difficult people, it's really helpful to remember this. Because Facebook has appealed to our need to be tribal. This is why we're constantly arguing about little things on social media. It's me too, I'm not lecturing you. It's reduced us to labels we cling to and fight to be part of. But we are more than this. We are human. The big guns of Facebook turn us into tribes to sell to us. It's the chicken and the egg. No one knows which came first, our appetites or commerce, but one look at history will tell you all we need to know about tribes. Most tribes have been conquered with people who had money and bigger guns. Being human means being vulnerable to the big guns. Sticky. We are more than labels to be sold to. We are human. Social media is watering us down. We may be tribal, but tribes historically don't keep their independence for long. Calling Facebook a community is a trick. The truth is, it separates us from our community, with fake loyalties created to sell brands. Big businesses want to sell to us pure and simple. Facebook is simply a place to harvest our information and sell to us more efficiently. This makes more money for faceless corporations. Why not take a break of one week from social media for your mental health? Plan what you'll do instead and keep a diary of what you notice. How can you limit your use of social media moving forward? And can you build in regular breaks according to the seasons and your own personal triggers? What are your personal triggers? Find your independence from fake tribes. Stay human. The wrong song. I walk through the brown crisped edges of the hours I have left, crouching at the crossroads in September sunlight. I paint a world with you in it, unrotted, undead, fresh bring new. The leaves are falling like the seconds, the minutes and I walk through the brown crisped edges of the hours I have left at the crossroads of the old and the new season. The middle is brown and the past is green and the future, well, the future is white. Birdsong stings my anger. 
the smell of the dead earth rises up to hit my flowerless hands. There's a wrong blue sky under the chorus song that is not right and only the wind knows the truth. Snow will soon cover the dead leaves and you're gone so I'm gone. The leaves are falling faster now in my life. An electric silence showers me in sparks of the life I have left. The sun watches, making them dance, and the trees whisper second chances. Butterflies swirl in the out-of-place sunlight, too giddy to accept that spring has gone. Sitting at this crossroads, midwinter meets midsummer, and the trees and their crooked branches watch me go sane. Well, I like this poem. If I was the sort of person who entered competitions, I'd enter it in for a competition, but I'm not the sort of person who enters competitions for my writing. I just write because I can't not write. And this, I do remember. I walked through a wood and I came to a crossroads. This was October 2018. It was one year after my dad had died and I sat and wrote it this very solitary just the start of autumn feel of it the start of the autumn of your life it's a very midlife poem I'll I'll just make myself a certificate and award it to myself well done Alice great poem Three Six One Sober is a new recovery program, six weeks on Zoom, starting in October on Sundays. It's been designed for people who are interested in becoming sober, or they're within their first year of sobriety. I'm Alice and I've been sober for three and a half years now and I've felt every single minute of every single day. As a recovering alcoholic, I've devised a program that helps us to think and share and strengthen the resolve to stay sober. We ask why we want to be sober and we discuss strategies that worked and those that didn't and the benefits. Oh, there are always benefits. It's kind of half and half, there's a balance, there's some really difficult bits like isolation and losing your friends, but there are so many more benefits that outweigh that, including clarity of thought, improved mental health, less mood swings, and positivity coming at you in bucketfuls. Also, no headaches in the mornings. So if you're interested in 361 Sober, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays in October And you can get in touch with us at 361lifesupport.co.uk. Cheers. The 361 Recovery Programme is a recovery programme for women following 
divorce, bereavement and abuse. It's a 12-week programme. It's coming out for free with funding from Ensign. And there are actually plans to bring it out for men as well in 2021, fear not. But at the moment, it's just for women. If you're interested in a place, we are starting a third 361 recovery programme on October the 25th, which is a Sunday, at GMT 4 till 6pm. If you'd like a place, please get in touch with Alice via our website, 361lifesupport.co.uk. It's going to be two hours a week on Zoom, and it's a powerful recovery programme which focuses you on you. You do need to have had some counselling first because it's a stage three recovery programme where we begin to reconnect with the world. We ask ourselves, what's our vision? What's our legacy? And we look to go from victim to survivor to what lies beyond. If you're interested, please get in touch and we're really looking forward to working with you. Life's a breeze. Only go where the wind blows, my friend. This is what you must learn. Goddess feet only tread on what they earn in tears instead of pensionable years. No, left-handed fears take pretty pert smiles. Do we disappear? No. The right-handed years give us gravity and a sure foot. Follow the road, my friend. Listen to its guidance. A cadence of future memories will be made in the air above you. Men may love you or men may not. Wild wind will blow through your hair, whether they care or whether they lie. You are not available to everyone. Unassailable in time, you will fly. Only go where the wind blows, my friend. Don't wait for a gust. Sitting out of place, it's just disgrace they want to throw in your misplaced face like sand. Lick your finger, place your hand up. Stand up against fair weather friends. Turn your face from hate and shame. The rain that falls on them is just the same, remember. But you must leave before the leaves fall. Before the snow comes. Whilst the smell of hope still lingers in the bluebells. We're all shells, my friend, but some of us are empty. But you, you, my friend, you must only go where the wind blows. And when you finally float out to sea, aflame with blazing what-ifs, I'll look for you always, in the crash of the waves.